0: Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show Podcast, Hour One.
1: Greetings, conversationalist. It is Eric Erickson here. I hope you, wherever you are on the fruited plane, are doing well. The phone number is 877 973 7425. How's about we make a little bit of news? Joining me by phone, the governor of the great state of Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis. Governor, thanks very much for doing this. I know you are about to... Uh, run out all over across the nation and so spending some time with me i appreciate it let me just ask you out of the gate uh why yesterday start very non-traditionally not not a stage with a bunch of people behind you and before you but starting on twitter congratulations by the way for breaking the internet (laughs) and something president trump never did um why start there as opposed to sort of the traditional rollout people expect
2: Well, I think at the end of the day, there'll be times to do a lot of those speeches. And we've done speeches in front of a lot of people. We'll have time to do more. Uh, We've thought doing something with uh, with Elon, given his uh, notoriety and cachet, and then given the fact that Twitter is now viewed as the place where you can speak your mind, uh, as opposed to a lot of these other places, uh, that it was an interesting opportunity. I had never done this Twitter Spaces before I don't even have Twitter myself. Like the the accounts we do are managed by by our folks, um, and so I wasn't really sure how it worked. And um, you know, Twitter was talking about yeah, you know, we, we got it all locked, everything's ready. They tested everything, but they just had so many people that swarmed it that it just basically melted uh, the system. And so they were able to get that worked out. It was an interesting format. Um, I think what's happened though is that these things live on, so that recording is now I guess available. And there was a live stream one. And I think there was like a live stream one that people have done, which has over five and a half million now. So you're talking about probably by, you know, uh, later today, they'll probably have been over 10 million people uh, to have watched that. So I think they were able to get a little bit different format. People were asking me questions. We were actually talking about uh, different substantive issues in a way that a campaign rally uh, just wouldn't do. But we will be doing a bunch of rallies. We'll be doing all that. Uh, but I think it was a unique opportunity, and, and I, was, uh, I was glad we did it. I definitely think we got more buzz, and I think we got more interest As a result, I obviously know, just as somebody who's an elected official, most Republican primary voters, or heck, even a small percentage, probably aren't on Twitter. There's a very small percentage who actually are, and we understood that, uh, but we felt that there would be a lot of buzz about it, and I think there has been, and um, I think it was probably the biggest story uh, in the world yesterday, and so hopefully uh, we'll get some people interested in our campaign who may not have been otherwise.
1: Seven hundred thousand people. I was one of them uh, waiting ultimately about 300,000 when they had to reboot the system. Couldn't pack those people in, into any stadium in Florida, I don't believe. So definitely a lot of people intrigued by this. A good fundraising numbers overnight as well. Let, let me pivot though. Um, if to to the extent that Americans know you nationally from press coverage, uh, they probably know about the, the issues with Disney or the parental rights and education legislation that the media derisively called the Don't Say Gay bill. But something I saw in the Wall Street Journal the other day, like 62 percent of Americans right now are struggling just to put food on the table with food costs, paying rent, making ends meet. Uh, what do you tell those voters who that they, they, they look at the issues they hear about in the media about what you're doing in Florida? But they're like, OK, but I, I don't know that I can pay rent this month because of the Biden economy.
2: Well, it's 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 great you bring that up because we we address all those kitchen table issues every day in Florida. It's just a, the legacy media just doesn't want to talk about it because it's not something that they can kind of twist in a negative light. Uh, for me, so I just we just finished our legislative session, signed in all our tax relief, and so our view is Biden inflation is making it harder for people to maintain an adequate standard of living. We don't have income tax, so we can't cut that. But what can we do to to help with that? So we just did half a billion dollars in toll relief. So all of our commuters, uh, they get a 50% rebate on their SunPass every month. That's going to save many of them hundreds of dollars this year. And some will may even be a thousand because in South Florida, people could do a lot of tolls. We also did no tax on any baby item sales tax so permanent exclusion so if you have a baby crib strollers clothes wipes diapers all of that you know we had a two-year-old and a nine-month-old when I got elected in 18 and took office and my wife now we have a third and they're all out of diapers and she just said why didn't you do this in January of 2019 we would have saved a lot of money but you know it is what it is so we're doing things to really help uh, our families we also did no no tax on pet food and pet medication. Uh, And then we did things to to help with some of the housing because Florida, fortunately, where state people want to come, there's a lot of people uh, that that are moving here. We were open during COVID. So we had construction continue to pace, but at the same time, the demand has outstripped that. So we did a massive bill called the Live Local Act, uh, which is really uh, streamlining the ability to have um, uh, attainable housing for people like cops and firefighters and teachers and, and other workers so that they can live in their communities. Uh, and that is really moving forward very quickly. And so we're going to see a lot of good issues. But I think the fundamental uh, economic issue is that now, these progressives are really regressive, because if you look at all the things that they've done, from the printing of the money at the Fed, to spending all this money, to their regulatory and bureaucratic policies, anti-energy, all these other things, they all have the cumulative effect of making it harder for working Americans uh, to attain and maintain a good standard of living, and and that's something that, that we would obviously address um, as president, but it's absolutely something we work very hard on in the state of florida it doesn't get the headlines you're not going to read about it in the new york times msnbc isn't going to do a package on how uh, how beneficial this is for floridians because it doesn't fit their narrative but we're laser focused on all those issues
1: I know. And in fact, I, I've mentioned this one time when you were on the show previously. I, I've got a friend who's a pretty progressive, liberal, lives in Florida, actually commends you, speaks highly of what you've done economically and also in conservation policy. He cares deeply, way more deeply, frankly, than I do about a lot of environmental issues. But one of the things that, that I think a lot of the people on the left talk about these days are These climate issues. You see polling that some Americans think it's more important than the economy. The left certainly does. And we see in Washington these policies from whether it's gas stove regulations for emissions or the push to put people in electric vehicles. uh, We don't have the lithium capacity to do it, to convert it, it's too expensive. And yet it it seems like the left is consciously from Washington trying to price the middle class out of being able to live a mobile life in society and a a, a life they can afford these days without uh, scaling back because of the environment. I mean, how do you – what do you see as as a way to confront that in Washington if you were elected? Well,
2: what I did in Florida was – Actually, say you know what I'm not. I I can't control the 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 climate. Uh, I am not doing mandates on any of that. In terms of environment, what I care about is the environment people enjoy. I want to conserve Florida. Leave it to God better than we found it. So we just take an action uh, to to safeguard and and there's been infrastructure, water quality, all these different things. And people appreciate that because it's tangible. I think the left, you know, they're talking about all these other things. A lot of it is ideology. A lot of that justifies them to do policies that they would want to do anyways. Interestingly, in our tax bill, we did tackle the gas stoves. No tax on gas stoves now in Florida. We want to protect your gas stove. They claimed that they weren't going to go after it when the story first broke. And now, of course, we see they do want to go after uh, the gas stoves. But I, and I also think when you look at things like forcing people into electric vehicles. First of all, in Florida, when we had the hurricane, uh, the EVs with the saltwater intrusion, they're more likely to catch on fire. Of course, if power's out, it's harder to be able to control your own destiny vis-a-vis a, a, a car powered by, uh, by gasoline. You also have the situation of all the stuff that goes into creating this stuff, the batteries and everything going into an EV, is coming from China. So you're basically making us more dependent on China uh, by forcing this conversion to EV. So we would reverse that um, under Biden. Uh, I have no problem if people want to buy an electric vehicle. I, I'm all about the market. Uh, but what they are doing, they're, they're making automobiles um, less attainable for the average person. And you're right. Look at Germany's electric costs w- when they've gone down this road. It's way higher than a place like Florida. Look at California compared to to red states, much higher. Uh, So you will absolutely have a lower... living if the left gets their way you know the good thing is is I think there's a pretty clear path to being able to reverse a lot of this stuff the things he's doing through executive order uh, you could reverse right away but even what they did with the inflation reduction act they passed that via budget reconciliation in the Senate so with 50 votes I think um, you know we win the, the presidency I, I I'm pretty sure we would win the Senate and keep the house and so in that case what they put in by reconciliation you could repeal by
1: reconciliation. Governor, last question for you. I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, I, I'm actually personal friends, as, as I mentioned to you, uh, with uh, the Haley's, with the Pence's. I've known Tim Scott for a number of years, considering him a friend. You, you've got a, a, a sitting senator, potentially as a former vice president. You've got a former president, a former governor, UN ambassador. Why you, not them, for the presidency?
2: Well, we have a culture of losing in our party, and there's really no substitute for victory. We can't have any more excuses. We've got to get it done. And I think if you look at what we've done in Florida, I was able to take a state that was a swing state, a one-point state in 2018 and the previous decade, and then four years later win it by uh, 20 points, uh, 60% of Hispanics, uh, winning independence by 18%. uh, And so that's the direction we need to go to be able to win nationally. But I'm the only one that's taken all these great conservative principles we all share, the values, the ideas, taking all of those and making them a political reality in Florida and winning big day after day. Uh, there's a lot of talk about, oh, we're going to do all these things. And then Republicans oftentimes don't convert on it. And I don't think there's anybody uh, in the modern history of the party uh, that's been able to transform a state the way we have. And I don't think anybody's been able to put uh, the points on the board that we have. So I think people could say, I've, I've made the promise if you nominate me, um, I will get it done. Uh, I will be taking the oath of office on January 20th, 2025 uh, at high noon. And then we will spit nails from day one. Uh, I will use all the authorities that we have to bring about a really strong, uh, bold agenda. And it'll be a two-term project when you're talking about the bureaucracy and all these other things. Uh, But I think I've proven that when I say I'm going to do something, I'll do it. And people will know I'll be able to get the job done.
1: Governor, I know you've got a whirlwind tour ahead of you. Thank you for spending some time with us. Best of luck on the campaign trail.
2: Thanks so much. Appreciate it. If anyone wants to help out, just go to rondesantis.com.
1: Thank you very much. Governor Ron DeSantis, now headed to Iowa and New Hampshire after making a lot of media rounds over the next couple of days. First national radio interview with Governor Ron DeSantis after announcing his bid for the presidency. Appreciate him stopping by for the top of the show. If you would like to listen to that interview, you should subscribe to the show notes. During commercial break, we quickly edited it and pushed it out to all the subscribers. So you can text the word data to 33777 and get that as a subscriber to uh, the Substack that I have. Now, Uh, I will take your phone calls as well. Your reaction to the governor, 877-973-7425. Let me begin with Pierce. You're going to be up first. Welcome. Hey,
3: thank you for taking my call, Eric. You know, a lot of the media is mocking Ron DeSantis over his announcement at Twitter and the failure and how it's just all this and this. You know what I find? I find that showing that he's innovative. He's not willing to follow the normal path, and I think he's going to, when he is in the White House, not if, but when he gets in the White House, he's showing us already that he's going to find innovative ways to, one, bring us back to energy independence along with developing renewable energy. I think he's going to do things to help middle, and, uh, middle America and working-class families um, because he's going to find innovative ways to bring these ideas and programs into being. And I respect that terribly. I lovely respect that. But the other thing I find is curiously is our state Republican convention is going to be next month Mm -hmm. and three people that are curiously missing from the invitation list, Brian Kemp, Brad Raffensperger, and Ron DeSantis. They're bringing the former president in here and he's going to be so tangled up during this campaign with legal problems, how can – I don't know how anybody in their right mind will vote for the man.
1: Look, the so the Georgia Republican Party unfortunately went off the rails. Uh, they have chosen to elect to positions of prominence within the statewide party. Uh, some insane people, including one who this weekend came out as a flat earther, literally believing that uh, selling the earth on globes is a conspiracy – Uh, To get people to believe the world is round. Um, These are the sorts of people that the GOP in Georgia chose to put into place. Uh, They are nursing grievances as opposed to trying to win elections. And so they're (laughs) largely meaningless. Uh, Ron DeSantis will come to Georgia to my event in August uh, and sit with me. There's no reason for him to go to a Republican Party that is still litigating whether 2020 was stolen and whether or not the earth is flat or round. Uh, It is a meaningless entity at this point in the state of Georgia. Brian Kemp is creating in Georgia a new entity and leadership to replace and do competently the things that the Georgia Republican Party no longer does competently. Uh, just an incompetent bunch of whiners at this point. Uh, maybe somebody will help them reform, but not when they're putting flat earthers into power. Now, I I do want to talk about the Twitter launch. I actually think the way it came off uh, was a, a, a tactical mistake. It's, it's not going to matter. In two weeks, no one's going to care. Newt Gingrich tried to do the same thing back in, what, 2012 uh, or tw- whenever he ran, uh, and he um, did it with a when YouTube was starting its live function and the whole thing crashed. Nobody remembers it. Of course, nobody remembers Gingrich ran for president by and large. I suspect they'll remember uh, DeSantis, but I just— would have done it differently, and I at least want to explain my thinking on this. But he defended it ably. You got over 5 million people who have listened to it now. 75 minute wide ranging discussion on public policy with two very boring interviewers. Uh, I look, I may not be the best interviewer, but I listened to that last night once you could get the audio, and yeah, I, 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 I would have done differently. I'll, I'll at least explain that. When we come back, I'll take your phone calls as well, 877-973-7425. Right now, gotta tell you about Patriot Mobile. They're funding the conservative movement around the country, and they do it by growing their profits, which they do by getting your business. And to get your business, they give you guaranteed great service as a cell phone provider across the nation. They use the same cell towers you are probably already using to. Do business with Patriot Mobile. You go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E R I C K, or you call them 972 Patriot. You tell them I'm sending you. You get free activation with my name. You get discounts if you're a veteran, a first responder, a teacher, an NRA member, got a lot of lines in your house because all your kids have phones. Well, Patriot Mobile can help you. And then they take their profits as they grow them and give them to the causes you care about. The website is patriotmobile.com slash eric or call them at 972-PATRIOT, 100% U.S.-based customer service. Grow Patriot Mobile, grow the conservative movement, get guaranteed great service at patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. Glad to have you with me. I interviewed out of the gate today nationwide, Governor Ron DeSantis. If you would like to listen to that interview, you can text DATA. D-A-T-A, text the word DATA to 33777. Uh, Subscribe to the show notes. You can listen to that interview. I am happy to take your phone calls as well, 877-973-7425. Let's go to Craig. You're up next. Welcome.
4: Uh, Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I was telling your screen caller that I voted for Trump in 2016 and 2020, and I will again, if he's a nominee you know because of the alternative but i'm backing desantis but my point was the like the only trump voters out there i think of them as like ray from ghostbusters when he was asked to choose the form of your destructor (laughs) and like the first thing that goes into their head is trump because I just I don't think he can win a general election because I think he turns off too many independents and Republicans in important states. And four more years, the Democrats will destroy this country. And so I just think their blind allegiance to one man will be the destruction of the country.
1: Yeah, look, I, I I share your concern, and I, I think if the economy is bad, he has an opportunity to beat Joe Biden. It will be more costly than any of the Republican alternatives, uh, but I just – who do you get back to the coalition? And the problem is you cannot have the conversation, Craig, because it very much is an emotional reaction from people, and he had their back. They have his back. I do get that, but who do you – Add to your coalition who was there in 2016 and walked away, and you haven't changed. You still lack impulse control. After Ron DeSantis did his Twitter space last night, Donald Trump released a video graphic uh, that compared DeSantis to Hitler, showed him in a Twitter space with Hitler, the devil, and Dick Cheney which you can laugh at, but also when you're going straight to Hitler with Ron DeSantis, that does suggest you are scared of the man. There has been a complete meltdown from Trump and his supporters online over the audacity of DeSantis getting into the race, not, quote unquote, waiting his turn as if this is some sort of monarchy or something. Uh, I I just, uh, my fear is that Trump, he lost in 2020. He still believes he won it. His supporters are convinced he won it. Uh, I just want a Republican candidate who's smart enough not to get an election stolen from him. And all of the people who were dumb enough to get their election stolen from them, from Doug Mastriano to Kerry Lake, if you believe it was stolen, they're backing Trump. Uh, that should be notable. I want a candidate who doesn't get his election stolen from him. Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Mike Pence, they've never had elections stolen from them. Now, let's talk about the Twitter space. Okay, so I, I I differ with some friends of mine on this issue. Some friends of mine, uh, Charlie as well, I think, is in the camp that this, this was fine. I don't think it's going to hurt DeSantis. But I don't think it helped DeSantis. Most candidates get a bump when they do a launch, you'll see Tim Scott bump up a little bit in the polls. Why? Because every news network covers it. Most Americans are not on Twitter. Even the governor in our conversation at the top of the hour said, he recognizes most Americans aren't there. Maybe 3% of the country is on Twitter and not all of them tuned in to the conversation. It was 75 minutes. It was substantive. A lot of public policy discussion, deep understanding of policy. You wouldn't get something like that from, from Donald Trump. But there are conventions in politics and there, are con- there is conventional wisdom. The conventions, the, the things that, that candidates normally do and the conventional wisdom, the things candidates generally say and think and, and campaigns generally say and think. And the, the standard convention in politics is you do a launch day event that surrounds you with your supporters in a massive photogenic photo op. And the conventional wisdom is when you launch your campaign, you want your message to be in control, and you want every aspect of it to be in your own hands, lest anyone screw it up. So you stage it at the venue of your choice, with the people standing behind you of your choice, with the invited crowd of your choice, with the media of your choice, with the message of your choice— with the, with the talking points of your choice, with the visuals of your choice. And then the media obliges and covers it live, just as uh, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, CNBC, Newsmax, all of them covered live Nikki Haley's launch event, Tim Scott's launch event. You get a massive bump of free press where you control all of the optics, all of the message. That didn't happen last night for Ron DeSantis. It's not that it hurts him. It's that he could have gotten more of a bump by doing something where he controlled everything. And instead, what he gets are headlines for the next several days that he had a failure to launch. That it 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 crashed the internet and they're not going to talk about it as uh, so many people were interested in Ron DeSantis he broke the internet which is a good spin and that's what the DeSantis campaign is embracing. Instead, what they're going to talk about is why did he why did he go to a platform that was broken? Is this a metaphor for his campaign? I mean, keep in mind over the last several months the expectations game has gone against him. And there has been this expectation that he would have a failure to launch. When Donald Trump launched his campaign in 2015, everyone still to this day remembers his trip on the escalator. Now, some people, in fact, Charlie's in, in the camp that says, well, they remember it because he won. I, I don't actually think that's the case. Uh, I think from here on out, whether he won or lose, people would remember he was on that escalator. Uh, that's how Donald Trump announced he, he, he took the escalator ride, surrounded by the media, made a big national splash, and controlled all of it. What he wanted to say, how he wanted to say it, who was there, controlled it all. And in fact, it was a very unique launch for a presidential campaign. Most of them are like Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, even George W. Bush back in the day, John McCain, Mitt Romney, you do it on stage. But all of them historically have gotten a polling bump thereafter. They've all gotten a bump, even Trump. Got a bump after the escalator ride. I don't know that you get a bump by going to a Twitter space where the world that's paying attention can't pay attention. Many of them don't have access to it. And again, though, I mean, it's not not like anyone's going to care next week. He's going to go to Iowa. He's going to start doing some massive rallies. If he starts drawing big crowds, people are going to notice. It's just out of the gate. Why do you put your campaign into someone else's hands when that person – can't keep his site going and has had all sorts of technical issues and we now know from reports overnight uh twitter employees blasting elon musk in the new york times that they didn't actually do a proper stress test of the system uh they told the desantis campaign that they had but they had not i think he kind of alluded to that in our conversation as well that they assumed that uh based on on what twitter told them that it could handle the load and it didn't Yeah, and again it's not going to matter in a week. No one's going to care. People are going to care about Iowa. People are going to care about New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina, and what he does there. Uh, so I want to move on because there actually is some big news as well that has happened, uh, Supreme Court Day. And we'll get back into politics of it. We'll, we'll get back into all of that. But I really, really want to bring you up to speed. In the last couple of hours, the Supreme Court has issued some very major uh, case decisions one of those decisions, and I think it is probably one of the greatest decisions to ever come from the United States Supreme Court. And it was unanimous. In fact, two big rulings today, unanimous rulings. The one that's not going to get as much attention, I think, is a bigger one: Tyler versus Hennepin County. You remember this case. I think I talked about this case. This was in, in Minnesota. And elderly uh non-white citizen, she's an elderly black grandmother, lived in a condo, couldn't pay her rent or couldn't pay her taxes, and the local government foreclosed on her property. She owed something like $1,000 in back taxes. And so then they started fining her with penalties and interest, and it got up to about $10,000. They sold her condo for about, I, I want to say $100,000, I don't think that's precisely right. And they kept all the money. She sued and said they should have given her back the $90,000. I think it was actually amounted to about $70,000 they were supposed to should have given back to her. And the government said, no, we sold it. We get to keep all of it. Unanimously, the United States Supreme Court said, no. This is from John Roberts, who wrote the majority decision, the unanimous decision. The principle that a government may not take more than a tax to, from a taxpayer than she owes can trace its origins at least as far back as Runnymede in 1215, where King John swore in the Magna Carta that when his sheriff or bailiff came to collect any debts owed him from a dead man, they could remove property quote until the debt which is evident shall be fully paid to us. And the residue shall be left to the executors to fulfill the will of the deceased. The citing there is from a commentary on the Magna Carta written in 1914, referencing a document written in 1215 AD. It's amazing this case ever got as far as the Supreme Court, Uh, but that it did and it's unanimous is fantastic. The Great Charter, the Magna Carta that King John had to, to give, it was the beginning of, of parliamentary democracy in Great Britain. It took uh, hundreds of years for, it to, for Parliament to reign supreme after that, but it was the beginning of the end of absolute supremacy of the British monarch. And one of those issues was taxation, and the government is not allowed to take more in taxes than it is owed. And so unanimously, the Supreme Court said, no, you can't do this. You cannot do this. And that's good. And in in a number of states, I want to say like 25 states allow this. What is interesting is that Katanji Brown-Jackson – the newest justice, and Neil Gorsuch wrote a concurrence saying, hey, now we need to talk about excessive fees. There is no way that she should have been fined tens of thousands of dollars based on the taxes. They were already getting interest on the taxes. That'll be another case eventually to come up. The case that's getting more attention, however, is the EPA case today. Uh, It is a remarkable case, and it is, again, unanimous. The issue is over whether the EPA can regulate non-contiguous waterways that flow into navigable waterways. The United States Constitution gives the Congress power to control navigable waterways. In this case, the couple was building a house. The couple was building a house. Let me just read you the fact pattern here. The case is Sackett versus EPA. The Sacketts bought a lot of land and wanted to build a house on a soggy residential lot near Priest Lake in the state's panhandle of Idaho. The couple started preparing the property for construction in 2007. They added sand, gravel, and fill, and the EPA told them to stop and return the property to its original state, threatening them with fines. The couple sued the agency, and there was a dispute. Now, here's what you need to know about the property. The Sackett's property wasn't at the lake. The Sackett's property was across the street from a creek that flowed into the lake. And there was a roadway between the house and and the creek. And the EPA said, well, water from their property absorbs through the soil and ultimately flows into the creek underneath the soil that they don't see. So unanimously, liberals and conservatives in the court said, nope, sorry, this doesn't work. But Sam Alito and a majority of the court took it further and said, the waterways have to connect. If your waterway does not flow into the navigable waterway, it doesn't work. And this goes to another case where there was a ditch that was mostly dry, occasionally would fill up with water, and the Supreme Court said that's not a navigable waterway either. Big, big wins, both unanimous at the Supreme Court against environmentalists and against government. Now... Before we get out of here, i got to tell you how you might be able to win by protecting your portfolio using precious metals. If you're interested at all, you should call Advantage Gold at 800-450-2566. Advantage Gold can teach you how to use gold and silver in your portfolio, whether it's your 401K, your IRA, or your general investment portfolio. To take care of inflation, balance the ebbs and flows, you want to talk to Advantage Gold. They're TrustLink's number one highest-rated gold company seven years in a row. Their number is 800-450-2566. You get the best prices from them. They have fantastic staff. They can give you a free gold IRA investment kit that teaches you what you need to know about using precious metals as part of your portfolio. It's 800-450-2566. 800-450-2566 800-450-2566 Call Advantage Gold Just let them answer your questions They play it straight, no pressure They want you to be knowledgeable And you can get great deals from them On Gold and Silver 800-450-2566 Greetings It is Eric Erickson here The phone number if you'd like to call in 877-973-7425 Glad to have you with me uh, I. This is Kind of dumbfounding A Western Michigan man has pleaded no contest to shooting an 84-year-old woman campaigning against abortion rights at his home. That's right. He was charged with felonious assault, careless discharge of a firearm causing injury, and reckless discharge of a firearm. An 84-year-old woman was shot. Her name was uh, or is um, Joan Jacobson. She went to Mr. Harvey's home in Odessa Township, a community 130 miles northwest of Detroit, Jacobson told investigators she was asking a woman at the home to vote against a proposed constitutional amendment that would guarantee the right to abortion in the state when she was told to leave. And Richard Harvey shot her. So she was doing her her civic right of door-knocking encouraging people to vote against a pro-abortion measure and got shot by the 75-year-old who lived there, Richard Harvey. He was ordered to complete 100 hours of community service. Yeah. yo, oh, you heard me right. That's right. He shoots a pro-life activist who is doing door-knocking and urging people to to oppose an abortion piece of legislation, and he gets 100 hours community service. Can you imagine what would happen if this was a a pro-abortion activist who got shot? They would throw this guy behind bars, probably give him the death penalty, even though the woman survived. He said it was an accidental discharge. The woman says she uh, believes it was intentional. Uh, An argument began with the man's wife over the abortion measure. They were aggressively pro-abortion, and uh, she got shot in the shoulder. They gave him 100 hours community service. That's right. If you're a pro-lifer and you get shot in parts of this country, you got what you deserved, apparently, and the shooters are getting nominal punishment. Absolutely amazing. When we come back... The press, fact-checkers, they're lying again. Got to tell you what about.
0: Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, little.